Bullseye with Jesse Thorne is a production of MaximumFun.org and is distributed by NPR. I'm Jesse Thorne. It's Bullseye. My guest, Billy Gibbons, doesn't need much introduction. He's the guitarist and primary singer in ZZ Top. You know ZZ Top, right? Of course you know ZZ Top. At this point, ZZ Top are basically literally iconic. Giant beards, sunglasses, thick bluesy guitar riffs. Maybe you know them from MTV in the 80s or their records from the 70s, or maybe you just know them as an idea that's around. But behind that idea, behind the idea of ZZ Top, is something a lot more interesting. The band ZZ Top a psych-influenced blues rock band that is still cutting great records to this day. They have a fascinating story, too, one that is covered wonderfully in the recent documentary ZZ Top, that little old band from Texas. A quick heads up, Billy and I recorded this interview about a week before we started producing and recording Bullseye from home, so that's why uh, we sound like I am in the same room as him, complimenting his outfit. Uh, I was in the same room as him, complimenting his outfit, because he was dressed head to toe. Anyway, before we get to the interview, let's play a ZZ Top classic, LaGrange. Billy Gibbons, welcome to Bullseye. It's great to have you on the show. Bullseye it is. He I, is here. It is rare. I have to say this, Billy. It is rare that somebody comes on this program so significantly more fitted than I am. <laughs> so let's talk about, for our at-home listener, I see a pocket square with what looks like a crocheted edge. Correct. What else is going on here? What, what have you got on your around your neck? There's well, a... I got to rattle the, the chain first to let you know it's... it's uh, <laughs> It's a uh, collection, actually. At the very bottom, and this is what gets everybody. They said, gee, was that, isn't that a belt buckle? I said, yeah. And I said, well, is there a significance to it? And I said, well, I collect the mail down on Sunset Boulevard next to Boot Star, which is a famous Western haberdashery, cowboy boots and pearl snap shirts. But under glass, they had this belt buckle, and it had been there. It started to kind of get curious it had been there for two years and uh, it was uh, clint orm famous silversmith who does kind of known for his western belt buckles and i said well uh, i'd like to uh, make a move on that belt no you can't have it <laughs> i said well uh, it's really uh, no no it's it's incomplete i said well, in what fat in what manner well it's missing the keeper and the tip, we only have the buckle, and we just would feel better about not not letting it go like that, incomplete. Fortunately, 
that sales agent took a lunch break, and the girl stepped forward, and she goes, gee whiz, it's been here for two years. What What do you give me? I said, well, it's marked at $200. She goes, what? You got 20? <laughs> I, said, I said, okay. So, uh, you know, I was right down the street from Kuntz Hardware on Santa Monica. Went in there for $1.99. I got the uh, motorcycle lobster clasp key fob. And uh, I, I came back directly. And by this time, uh, I'm next door picking up mail. And uh, the sales agent happened to glance out the window and saw me stroll by. And he said, wait a minute. I, I, you owe me $200. I said, no, it's 180 <laughs> Let's talk a little bit about uh, Texas, where you are from. Did you grow up listening to the radio stations that were not in Texas, but outside of Texas, just over the border, uh, that were, you know, that that were there because there were no regulations on how powerful your signal could be? Uh, these like famous stations that broadcast all the way to Wisconsin or whatever? Oh, yeah, the the line of X stations, the uh, the delineation in Mexico. Uh, well, let's go back to the 20s. When, when commercial radio was just starting to become popular, it was the U.S. and Canada that divided the entire AM bandwidth between them, leaving nothing for Mexico or Cuba. And uh, shortly thereafter, the FCC was formed, and immediately they decided that 50,000 watts was the ceiling. That was, as, that was as bold as they would allow. And to give you some idea what 50,000 watts would be, WLS, uh, 50,000 uh, out, of, out of Chicago, uh, WLAC out of Nashville. You could hear, you could hear uh, WLS out of Chicago all the way to South Texas. What could you hear on those stations that you wouldn't have heard on uh, stations based in the States? Oh, the well, they started broadcasting. They turned the transmitter on the morning, and, and they didn't start broadcasting until 6 in the evening. And it took that long for the place to warm up. I mean, it was pretty insane. But you'd hear uh, advertisement, and the shows were all 15 minutes in length. So you had... Uh, Evangelist Preachers, uh, J. Charles Jessup. You had uh, Zeke Manners selling piano lessons, uh, 100 Baby Chicks for a dollar, uh, things that were uh, really interesting. And, and uh, it lasted up till the, I guess, the late 70s. But it was the healing preachers that really got to you. They were, they were something else. Yeah. J. Charles Jessup, I'm going to the island of Chandelier. I know some of you brothers and sisters have been doing things like smoking cigarettes and cigars. You ladies have been wearing nylons. But I'm going to the island of Chandelier, and I'm going to pray for you brothers and sisters. I'm going to plant my knees in that beach sand and let that salty seawater tickle my toes. And when the worm turns to moon and the moon turns to butter, I'll be praying for you. <laughs> Now, I know that you must understand an undertaking this magnitude requires a great deal of money, so send your love offering to me. Care of XERF, cash check or money order. And we'll send you a pair of thought-provoking soul slippers with your favorite song, On the Soul. And every step you take will fly up to our man up there. <laughs> Craziness. 
Your dad was a musician. What kind of musician was he? Well, he did everything. He started off, uh, he was from England, and he came over with his uh, five brothers. And his dad, my granddad, was a glove maker. And uh, at, during the Great Migration, end of the 1800s, into the early 1900s, fine leather goods came from England, Italy, and Russia. And, uh, of course, back through Europe and they didn't like each other very much until they decided to come to the United States. They laid their arms down and they all ganged together and they went upstate New York and uh, the town of Gloversville, where they made gloves, still there. And uh, that's kind of what started uh, my dad off on the entertainment side of things. I One day I asked him, I said, well, how did you get in the entertainment game? He said, well, my five brothers and I went to the glove factory to have lunch with our dad. And when we left, we were walking home and, and we looked at each other and said, we need to think of something quick because we ain't doing that. <laughs> so they all, they all picked up a musical instrument. And uh, my dad, went, the, they, had a, they had a ragtime group called the Jazzy Five. That started it off, and later they got so good, they started landing the contracts. That's Saratoga Springs, Lake George, all the the joints up around the Catskills, you know. So my dad, uh, from from a ragtime jazz band to uh, playing the piano silent movies, and then uh, it just kind of developed into a thing. That, that's kind of the background. Did you expect to go into entertainment because he had been in entertainment? I think so. I think I can. Rem I think it was, it was there, and uh, I can remember being like three or four. And uh, but in 1955, my mom took my sister and I to see Elvis. He was playing a big show in Houston, Texas, at the at the uh, Coliseum, the Sam Houston Coliseum. And I've got a vivid memory. The recollection of that impact was not to be denied. It was there. I was like, mm, yeah, I want to do that. And you, we were really young. I mean, we're oh, not talking yeah. about when you're 14. No, I was, I was five. And then uh, a couple of years went by, and, and uh, we started collecting records, the portable record player. I was lucky enough to, my sister and I had one, one was in her room, I had one. And uh, we had a housekeeper that was just a music fanatic. And uh, if my mom would go out shopping, we'd, we'd, uh, we'd hurry over to the housekeeper and we'd ask her to give us the names of the records that we could, we could give the list to our mom, you know, to come back with the records that, that, uh, she, you know, she would buy this stuff not knowing what it was. Where did where'd you kids get that, st that stuff? Turn that down. But in, then in 1957, uh, the next piece to the puzzle fell into line. My dad said, get in the car. We're going to go. He said, I've got some business to do. You can come with me. He was going to uh, Bill Holford's outfit, ACA, big recording studio. There, the, the two big recording studios in Houston was was uh, Bill Quinn's outfit, Gold Star, and Bill Holford's outfit was ACA. So I remember getting out of the car and we walked in and, and my dad led me into the studio and he, he said, nah, 
I want you to sit here. He said, I'll be in the office. If you need anything, you can come get me. But he said, I think you'll like it. He said, there's an orchestra coming in. You can watch him make a record. And that was pretty exciting. It turned out that it was B.B. King. And, man, they marched in, set up, and there I was sitting in the corner. And that pretty when B.B. struck it, that pretty much sealed the deal. It was, <laughs> okay, <laughs> that I want to do. Uh, now, the, the irony of that piece to the puzzle, when B.B. King was turning 80, there was a project uh, that had been dreamed up to celebrate B.B.'s 80th birthday, and uh, they had invited a different uh, group of 10 different guest artists, and they invited me to participate, and I was so so flattered. I said, gee whiz, to play with B.B. I mean, this to actually make a record with B.B. King. And uh, I was with my buddy Tom Vickers and, and Bob Merlis. They had kind of spearheaded this arrangement. And uh, on the way over, I said, by the way, I said, have they selected a song? Is, is there something that we should know? And he said, well, as a matter of fact, yeah, it's a, it's a song called uh, I'm Tired of Your Jive. And I said, yeah, I know that one. <laughs> I heard it when I was seven years old. <laughs> I saw B.B. King play it, and uh, we finally got to the studio, and it was really interesting uh, to walk into the control room. There was Bobby Bland and B.B. King telling stories from the Memphis days, way back, and we sat there for the better part of an hour, and, and finally B.B. Uh, noticed I'd entered the room. Oh, okay, you're here. I said, oh, I've, been, I've just been listening to the wonderful stories of Sunbeam Mitchell of Memphis, and Club Paradise, all the, the spots, you know. So he said, well, are you tuned up? He said, let's go make some noise. I said, all right. Got out there, strapped up, and uh, he said, well, let, let's go in there. And he pointed across the room, and I said, well, B.B., I said, uh, that's the singing room. He said, yeah, you, you, you're going to play the guitar, and you're going to sing with me. And I said, well, okay, but I got I got to tell you, B.B., I'm white. <laughs> So he got a big kick out of it, but uh, off we went, and it it was it was quite fun, man. It was it was getting down with it. I think that because ZZ Top's sound is so distinctive, uh, it's easy to imagine that like you started making records that sounded that way when, or, or you started playing like you know uh, uh, sock hops that's with a band that sounded that way in you know 1960. But by the time you were a teenager in the mid-60s, it was like full British invasion time. And by the time you were in a band that was having real success, it was a psychedelic rock band, in, very inspired by the 13th Floor Elevators. And I, I want to hear a little bit of the... Your your band was actually like named almost in tribute to the 13th Floor Elevators. That's how much of a... Uh, how inspired you were by them. Let's take a listen to a a little bit of uh, your first big band's one big hit. And by big hit, I mean small regional hit. Oh, 
That band got you on the bill with some pretty amazing artists, not least of whom was Jimi Hendrix. How did you get on the road with Hendrix, with that band? Well, uh, going back to your uh, point of inspiration was genuine when the elevators hit. Uh, I think 1966 was their uh, breakout track, You're Gonna Miss Me. And uh, they were living in Houston at the time. And uh, there was a big house. They called it the Louisiana House. It was on Louisiana. And it had been cut off and it had been interrupted by the construction of, of Highway, 59, Highway 59, which came to a close at uh, the edge of downtown Houston. And uh, they didn't take the house down, and uh, yet it was nearly, uh, it, it had been destroyed by this looming overpass of this freeway. So the, the families moved out, and uh, it sat for a long time, and then some developer got a hold of it and turned it into these cubicles. So the sidewalks, we the four of us moved in, uh, the elevators were occupants they were living there and uh, that was really a turning point you know we had this band uh, billy g and the ten blue flames and then the psychedelic thing started to kick in and uh, the elevators were so instrumental and and from texas these these guys making this kind of music it was nearly unheard of uh well it was it had been unheard of they invented it so your band was called the Moving Sidewalks because well, you, you felt all bands should uh, be named after modes of pedestrian conveyance. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, the elevators go up, the sidewalks go forward. We thought that was, you know, in step. And uh, then 99th Floor ca- uh, came around. And then that led up to uh, Jimi Hendrix. How did the Moving Sidewalks l- land a spot with Jimi Hendrix? Well... I had uh, some friends that the, the Jimi Hendrix experience, the first record came out in England and we had gotten a copy uh, sent over and uh, we, we were just mesmerized with what was in those grooves. The Hendrix thing was exploding. And somehow, uh, shortly thereafter, the phone rang and uh, we had an agent down there in Texas and, and he said... Uh, You've got an invitation to play with this fellow. His name is Jimi Hendrix, and we just like wide-eyed jumped at the chance. We said, "Sure, let's let's do it." And uh, that kind of started it off. In order for the sidewalks to fulfill the contract, we were expected to play for forty-five minutes, and uh, we were just starting to develop uh, our own catalog. We had we had followed the elevators, and we started uh, branching out to this psychedelic thing. But we learned how to play a couple of Jimi Hendrix songs, Foxy Lady and Purple Haze. And I remember just like to fill out your set and, and meet the do your to be able to do your time. Yeah, we had so I'll never forget the first night. Well, we're going to close the show, and, and we decided that some of the, the, the stronger material was uh, uh, I'm a Man, followed with Foxy Lady and Purple Haze. And over in the shadows, I saw this guy with his arms folded. It was Jimi Hendrix, and I was like, "Oh well, uh, okay, we're gonna." Uh, we plowed through it, and uh, we took a bow. And as we're walking past, he grabbed me and he said, "I got to get to know you. 
you got a lot of nerve. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, went, okay. Uh, he wasn't wrong. <laughs> we, uh, He's like, hey, I got to go on next. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that, that's my encore you just did. <laughs> oh, we became fast friends, but yeah, yeah. Even more with ZZ Top's Billy Gibbons in just a minute. When we come back from the break, we'll ask him a question you've probably wondered aloud for a very, very long time. Will he ever shave off his beard? It's Bullseye for MaximumFun.org and NPR. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Kohler. Attaching directly to your toilet using basic household tools, a Kohler bidet seat offers adjustable features ranging from warm water cleansing and warm air drying to a heated seat. You'll also enjoy automatic air freshening and ambient nighttime light. Kohler invites you to visit Kohler.com bidet. Enter Kohler30 at checkout to save 30% on in-stock bidet seats. In the United States, black people as a whole have less access to good health care, to education, and job opportunities than other groups. But who do we even mean when we say black people? Who counts as black? It's a question this country has been trying to answer from the very beginning. Listen on NPR's Code Switch podcast. Welcome. Thank you. No problem. These are real podcast listeners, not actors. What do you look for in a podcast? Reliability is big for me. Power. I'd say comfort. What do you think of this? Oh. That's Jordan Jesse Go. Jordan Jesse Go? They came out of the floor? And down from the ceiling? That can't be safe. I'm upset. Can we go now? Soon. Jordan Jesse Go. A real podcast. Welcome back to Bullseye. I'm Jesse Thorne. My guest is Billy Gibbons, singer and guitarist in the legendary rock band ZZ Top. The band's story is recounted in a documentary called ZZ Top, that little old band from Texas. It's streaming now on Netflix. Just as the, you know, the British invasion artists who, or post-British invasion artists who were mimicking the blues and coming up with something pretty different, you know, had their own thing going, all those Eric Clapton's and so forth. When you guys started playing the kind of structures and basic elements of blues music, you came up with a whole other thing. Like it's a, it's a different aesthetic. Yes. Yes. Uh, early on, we discovered that we were not going to be the next Bob Dylan. That was something that everybody can aspire to. Uh, and yet at the same time, it was it was a pretty lofty notion. And uh, at the juncture when we were trying to get our feet on the ground, uh, the idea of embracing that secret language of the blues, so much of it was based on double entendre and it was a lot of uh, a lot of entertaining secret messaging and uh, we decided to take it in that that direction and uh, you know when you're 18 you're still prone to cutting up and you know having having a good time with it and i think that's what uh, that's what separated zz top it wasn't really uh to be taken so seriously and uh, although the 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 dedication and the and the you know the the hours of of practicing was heavily serious and yet at the same time you know we were just having a good time 
Let's hear a little bit from ZZ Top's first album from 1971, which, by the way, was called ZZ Top's first album. This is Somebody Else Been Shaking Your Tree. thought that was inspirational so so you named your first zz top's first record so you know there's going to be more there's a great scene in the documentary where the engineer you worked with on your second record is describing trying to find a way to make your sound big while your manager is insisting that it only be single-tracked. So we only just hear the band as it plays live. And there's only three of you, so there's a limited number of ways to enlarge the sound of three people playing three instruments, right? Correct. Somebody sends the manager out for barbecue and double-tracks your guitars. Yes. While the cat's away, the, the mice were playing, we didn't tell the manager, that the barbecue joint was 35 miles away. (laughs) So we had a good two hours to uh, kind of beef it up. And ironically, or coincidentally, when when the barbecue arrived with the manager, who was a little bit befuddled, we took a break, and then uh, he said, roll tape. And here was this uh, enlarged effect. And fortunately, he liked it. He didn't quite know how it happened, <laughs> so we we just kept sh- we kept uh, we kept quiet about it, and we insisted for the rest of the sessions, the remainder of the week, that uh, oh we got we got to have barbecue again. We got can you go get that barbecue again? So these little two-hour windows were kind of it was it was growing pains, but uh, it it really enlarged the sound and. Not just that it was two tracks of guitar on top of each other, but that, A, the tracks had to be simple enough that you could double them, which is to say, like, you couldn't you couldn't get too crazy because you had to be able to play it over again the same. And also that the second time around, the engineer went in and futzed with your guitar to just make it sound a little out of tune. <laughs> like he's like, I literally, he like, he describes like just pulling on the strings oh, yeah. to detune them just a, just a tiny bit. Well, you get that width. If you play exactly on top of it, it disappears. And it is difficult to, to get that strident. This is long before any, any uh, software program would, would line it up. But then you also got the bonus of that slight detune. And brother, you talk about it's bigger than a Buick. It gets wide. <laughs> but but that's the beauty of the, the, the engineering prowess. That, that was Robin Hood Bryans. And he, he had uh, so much experience, and he was not shy. He brought, he brought all, he pulled out all the stops. He, he, he knew that he liked what we were doing, and he, pitched in and said yeah let, let, all right 
play it again and let's make it bigger. By the time the band was hit its first peak in the late 1970s, you, you went on this you went on this national tour called the Worldwide Texas Tour that in the documentary about the band, Billy Bob Thornton describes as being like a cross between rock and roll, rodeo, and a circus because you had not insignificant numbers of live animals on stage. Uh, like there's footage of you in this in the documentary. You're wearing like flared pants, nudie suits or something. Like <laughs> yeah. it is a truly extraordinary spectacle. And it's the first time we have, it seems like you have this idea of that like, oh, the story, like the thing that we can get people to understand what we're doing is this is Texas for the world, right? Like this is something about Texas that we can share with anybody and everybody. Oh, yes. Um, It's also ridiculous. Like I want to be clear, it is goofy as heck. It was so crazy, yeah. Um, Ridiculous. Well, the byline was taking Texas to the people. (laughs) And, you know, the the idea started, I think we were sitting around on the rehearsal sessions and one thing led to the next and the next thing we're we've got 10 semi trucks being painted as this giant mural from the the beaches uh through the central plains over to the mountains and and uh then the the menagerie entered the picture there's uh, a buffalo there's some <laughs> buzzards there's a longhorn cow yeah uh, Havelina pig. We had a little uh, plexiglass pyramid at the end of the stage, which was shaped like the bottom part of the state of Texas. And uh, inside this glass pyramid were two live rattlesnakes. So <laughs> it was, it was. So I said, "Oh, we went up north, and it got cold, and the snakes went into hibernation." Well, that wasn't going to be anything interesting. So. The question is, where do you go to get fresh rattlesnakes that are still <laughs> awake? <laughs> we had to go back to Texas. You know, it was hot, and, and it was it was ridiculous. Have you ever thought about throwing it all away, by which I mean just shaving off your beard for a while <laughs> and, like, wearing a wig if you need, if you need to do a spot show? Yeah. Um, a no. face wig. I don't know what a face wig is called. but <laughs> Well, we're wearing one. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh man, um, I I don't think we could get away with it. Number one, <laughs> we're not sure what's in behind these whiskers here, <laughs> so uh, I think we're pretty much stuck with it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Plus, we're lazy. You know, the the big question is, do you sleep with the beard under the covers or over the covers? <laughs> it's kind of like, well, I don't know. I'm asleep. I can tell you. Well, Billy Gibbons, I'm so grateful that you uh, came to be on Bullseye. It was really nice to it was really nice to meet you and, and learn about your amazing career. Well, you've hit the Bullseye on on many levels. This has been uh, most enjoyable. Uh, let's 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 keep it going. <laughs> Billy Gibbons, ZZ Top's immensely charming documentary, ZZ Top, that little old band from Texas, is streaming now on Netflix. Check their website for tour dates coming up once. Uh, you know, once bands are touring again. That's the end of another episode of Bullseye. Bullseye is currently being produced out of the homes of me and the staff of Maximum Fun in and around Los Angeles, California, where 
unlike Billy Gibbons of ZZ Top, I had uh, what I can only describe as a mental break and shaved my beard off. It was uh, unsuccessful. <laughs> Looks awful. So, uh, despite the health benefits, I think I'm just gonna just gonna grow it right back. Our show is produced by Speaking Into Microphones. Our producer is Kevin Ferguson. Jesus Ambrosio is our associate producer. We get help from Casey O'Brien, and our production fellow is Jordan Cowling. Our interstitial music is by Dan Wally, also known as DJW. Dan has made a collection of music used on Bullseye, available pay what you will on Bandcamp. Uh, Search for DJW Bullseye there uh it's great great tunes to you know read a book by or whatever our theme song is by the go team thanks to them and their label memphis industries for letting us use it if you're hosting any parties with your immediate family members at home uh you should get one of their records and uh if you have some time on your hands we have tons of interviews in our back catalog if you're maybe into hearing more from rock and roll legends uh, maybe check out john kale from the velvet underground or elvis costello that's two pretty good ones we interviewed them all of those uh, available on our website at maximumfun.org and uh, almost all of them available in your favorite podcast app we're also on facebook twitter and youtube just search for bullseye with jesse thorne you can keep up with the show there And I think that's about it. Just remember, all great radio hosts have a signature sign-off.